0: Chapter 12. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Love that song. Love that. Uh, love all the verses. Sin is taken care of, all of it, every bit of it, and uh, He's coming again. What a great day! Looking for that blessed hope. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Great thing to be able to sing about. Here in Proverbs chapter 12. This past week, I came across a comment that the tongue may be regarded as a tree, a tree which bears fruits of different kinds, and such fruits as his tongue bears, a man must eat. If his words have been good, then he shall be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. If that sounds familiar, it's probably because last week when we began to look at the subject of the tongue in Proverbs chapter 12 alone, uh, we saw a verse that told us that truth. The Bible says in verse 14, "A man is satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, and the recompense of a man's hands shall be rendered unto him." Uh, this truth, found in Proverbs 12:14 is the beginning or right toward the beginning of the number of Proverbs which deal with the tongue, a number of verses and a number of truths we began to share with you last week. The same article uh, listed the numerous Proverbs in this chapter, actually a number of the verses in this chapter which deal with the tongue. And then it said this, there is nothing which seems more insubstantial than speech. A mere vibration in the atmosphere which touches the nerves of the hearing and then dies away. There is no organ which seems smaller and less considerable than the tongue. A little member which is not even seen and physically speaking soft and weak. But the word which issues out of the lips is the greatest power in human life. The soft tongue breaketh the bone, Proverbs 25, 15 says. Words will change the currents of life. Look at a great orator as he stands and addresses his audience. How miraculous must it seem to a a deaf man watching a speaker that uh, the quiet opening of a mouth should be able to produce such powerful effects upon the faces, the movements, and the conduct of those who listen to him. We're coming to consider the importance of this diminutive organ, the ill uses and the good use in which it may be turned, and consequent necessity of fitly directing and restraining the tongue. And so I pray that we'll learn the lessons God wants us to learn from Proverbs 12 and what God says about, let's pray. Father, please open our minds, our hearts, our eyes to your truth. Help us to, to uh, listen carefully to your word tonight. And then may it uh, stir our hearts. There's not a person in this room, myself included, that can't use uh, lessons about the tongue, that don't need to hear things about the tongue. There's not a person that doesn't need help. In this area of our conversation and our words, and I pray that you just stir our hearts, help us to see how important it is to control the little member that can boast such great things and and kindle such a great fire. So, God, give us understanding and wisdom tonight. We pray, guide my lips, that I might say the things that you can use and your spirit will use to direct and guide. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 17, we're told of the importance of truth, and that is where we left off last time as we uh, were just giving you a number of truths about the tongue. No alliterated three-point outline, all right? But we've been trying to uh, obliterate, yes, we've been trying to obliterate, alliterate a little bit as we've gone through and we've shared a number of truths that we learned about both bad men and good men. In fact, there's a lot of contrast in these verses. Uh, Let me quickly go over what we've already done and given, and we'll end up on that fourth point in the outline. Bad men are snared by the tongue, while good men are satisfied by it. We learn that in verses 13 and 14. The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of trouble. And by the way, he gets out of trouble because he uses his tongue in a right way, and he handles things properly. And if you don't get the point there, verse 14 that we just read, a man shall be satisfied with good by the So bad men are satisfied by the tongue. Good men are satisfied by it. Bad men reject counsel. Good men receive counsel. Now, that doesn't have to do with our talking, but actually more our... But verse 15 brings out that truth. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. I don't need any guidance. I don't need any counsel. Who are you to tell me what to do? I already exactly what's right I am right all the time sounds like a former president Uh, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise God says so bad men reject counsel good men receive counsel number three bad men manifest their anger good men manage it look at verse 16 a fool's wrath is presently known but a prudent man covereth shame Uh, And then in verse 17, where we left off last time, bad men harm people with lying. Good men honor God with truth. Uh, What a profound statement. He that speaketh truth showeth forth righteousness, manifests, makes known righteousness. But a false witness, deceit. Uh, We left off on the matter of truth, and a preacher said this about truth. Uh, While doing research for a writing project, I discovered the person I was studying would often exaggerate his personal experiences whenever he stood up and he spoke in public. In fact, as I studied him, he did it so frequently, I concluded that the stories he told were unreliable sources of information. Well, during that same period at a seminar for young adults, I told a personal experience which generated a lot of laughter. Later that day, I began to think about the story. And I realized that it didn't happen the way I told it. I had embellished the facts, exaggerated the impact to make a point and to get a reaction from the audience. And his next word was, ouch. The next morning when I spoke to the same group, I told them what I had done. I apologized for not telling the truth. In a conversation after that meeting, the host said this to me, You know, I've gotten carried away like that when I was giving a talk. Another person told of recently hearing a pastor apologize to his congregation for an exaggeration during the previous sermon, and she was amazed by his honesty and commitment to truthfulness. He then said in a Los Angeles Times article, Benedict Benedict Carey wrote that doctors at Yale University have found that some liars are capable, successful, even disciplined people who embellish their life stories needlessly. Another person, a psychologist at the University of Massachusetts, had volunteers carry hidden cameras to record conversations. The participants afterwards watched the tapes and they identified times when they weren't honest, and they averaged, get this, three lies for every 10 minutes of conversation. And then he asked this question, is there a way to avoid falling into the pattern of embellishing stories, of being dishonest? Even though we know that the Lord detests lying. Look at verse 22. Even though we know that, and even though we know God delights in those who tell the truth, it doesn't keep us sometimes from going over the line. But then he said, if, if we would add the painful step of asking for forgiveness when we lie, it will reinforce to us how much the Lord cares about what we say. I thought it was worth telling the story because in verse 17, we read again these words, He that speaketh truth. Showeth force or manifests, makes known, visibly, righteousness. Are you? Thought-provoking statement, isn't it, in truth? And yet that's what God desires from us. Number five in our outline, we learn about bad men in verse 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Bad men speak hurtful words, Good men speak healthful words. Come on, you got to go with the alliteration, right? Hurtful words or healthful words? I don't eat healthy. I know you didn't need to know that because you already knew it. Eating things that are harmful to your health is not wise. But there are a lot of people like me who just—now, my intent is not to rebuke you for eating harmful or or, uh, harmful, your eating habits, I guess we'd say. But point out the fact that like eating can be either harmful or healthful, so our words can be either harmful or or healthful. I knew I was going to have trouble getting those out at the same time. And the challenge from verse 18 is to ask ourselves, like with our eating and with our words, are we doing that which is beneficial and helpful or are we doing that which is hurtful? Y- you don't have to use bad language to hurt people with your time. Um, it could just be sharing a little bit of gossip that no one else needs to know. That, um, that hurts someone else's reputation or hurts what people think of others. When quite frankly you didn't need to share it in the first place. It might just be an unkind word. It might be uh, maybe even a, a word not spoken but a look that sends a message. And God wants us not to hurt with our words but to help. Um, a preacher commenting on this text in verse 18, the words that speak like the piercings of a sword, said this. They had just gotten a call to go to Afghanistan. Warriors from America's 101st Airborne were notice, on a plane transporting them to an unpredictable and dangerous military environment in Afghanistan. The news report on their assignment describing their flight to their mission and the moment in the flight when the atmosphere got very intense. It was late in the journey when their ammunition was handed out to them. And one of holding the ammunition in his hand and here's what he said, once you pull that trigger, you can never get the round back. And the preacher telling the story that stuck in his mind said, when we pull the trigger with our mouth, there's no turning back. We need to remember that. Words hurt, words heal. What have yours been doing? What have yours been doing with your kids? What have yours been doing with your mate? What have yours been doing with church people? What have you been doing with your neighbor? You know, uh, this is an area. I, Proverbs twelve; these verses are just so practical because, as as I said in prayer, there's just no one that doesn't need to think these things through. And ask ourselves: Are our words doing that which help others? Nineteen. We, speak truth. The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Verse nineteen actually is kind of hard to understand. If you read different authors, there's actually a number of different ideas, and that always makes it a little bit frustrating when you're trying to help people understand the truth of a passage. So it's best when a number of authors say the same thing, you know, and and uh, and yet. There are some passages that are difficult. There are some that are that are, are troublesome because of the wording and because uh, the message could be understand in some cases a few different ways. Uh, one writer said this, and I thought it was good. He said, "Truth stands forever." About verse nineteen, notice that the lip of truth shall be established forever. Truth stands forever because its foundation is indestructible. But falsehood may soon be detected, and though it gained credit for a while. It only had that credit because it was supposed to be the truth. I had to think that one through a little bit. But the only reason why someone would would believe a lie is because they don't believe it's a lie in the first place. Because it appears to be the truth. And so he brought that out in relation to verse 19. And that's an interesting thought. Truth and lies may go forth from a person, but only truth endures. Because when something's found to be a lie, then it's going to be believed no longer. Possible understanding. Another writer says, The speaker of truth is constant and always consistent with himself, and the more and longer his words are tried, the more doth the truth of them appear. Whereas liars, though they may make a fair show for a time, yet are easily and quickly convicted of falsehood, truth may indeed be eclipsed for a while, but it will come to light. Another possibility. Both may be the intended idea. But it seems to me from the text, if you look at verse 19, uh, that God is talking not about, if you would, about truth and lies, but more about who speak truth and who speak lies. Look at the tongue. is but for a moment. If that's indeed the case, that his emphasis on the person who speaks truth, or the one who is speaking the lies, to speak the truth, will give you a reputation for 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 yourself. Your words will be accepted as such because you're a truthful person. And isn't that generally true? Look, someone you know embellishes the truth. What do you do with everything they say? You, you take it with, as we say, the grain of salt right? Don't know if I can believe this. Don't know if I can accept it. Don't know if I can really trust what they're telling me now. Are you telling me the truth? Are you kidding? Um, But someone who's known to be truthful, the one who speaks truth on a consistent basis, you know what? They're going to establish their name, their reputation as one who speaks the truth. And quite frankly then their word is going to be taken and their word is going to stand. So uh, we have the truthful person, we have the liar. The liar may be considered right for a time. They may enjoy notoriety and support, even in their lives until they f- are found to be lies. And then from that time on, their reputation is affected. The lying tongue? Man who has it, not going to be trusted if he's lied repeatedly, and people found it to be that, that to be the case. Unless he happens to be a man in the Oval Office and the newspapers don't reveal the lies but that's another story for another, that's another time there. Um, but the fact of the matter is uh, that verse 19 does say the lip of truth shall be established forever but a lying tongue is but for a moment number seven bad men deceive with their tongue good men delight with their tongue uh, Look at uh, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil, but to the counselors of peace is joy. So bad men deceive with the tongue. Good men delight with their tongue. Um, The words of our mouth can have a positive impact on people or negative. The first phrase of verse 20 is kind of difficult to understand. Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil. Some see deceit as happening to the man who has a bad heart. Others see it uh, uh, in tandem with the last phrase of this verse, which it seems to be, but to the counselors of peace is joy. So we would view deceit as something going forth from their mouth to the harm of their fellow man. Um, I'm prone to accept the idea that those with a bad heart deceive others and discourage and destroy them with their tongue, while good men give true, good, godly counsel, and it results in joy for the life of other people. So bad men deceive with the tongue, good men delight with their tongue. And that get, begs the question again, are, are my words helpful or hurtful? We already mentioned that truth, and maybe we could have used verse 20 at the same time as we looked at that. Are my words bringing joy and blessing to people because I give words and counsel that's wise and helpful and good? Or do I have a deceitful heart? And are my words such that are, that are leading to discour- the discouragement and the ruin of people? Number eight, verse 22. And what do we find? Someone read it? So liars are an abomination while truthful men are acceptable. Liars are an abomination. That's a pretty strong word, you know. While truthful men are acceptable. Um... We could have used this one in, when we went over verse 19. The lip of truth shall be established forever, right? But verse 22 just stands alone, and it's important for us to think about this. Uh, let me sh- before we stress the main point, let me say this. Honesty delights God. This, this is an interesting s- statement. Honesty, honesty delights God. He's pleased with it. So when I speak honesty, honestly with people, God is delighted with that. That is a specific statement. They that deal truly, not not the words. They that deal truly, His delight. He is pleased with the person who speaks that which is true. Um, and then. Um, And I I just, I I wrote in my notes, think about that the next time you're in the place of decision about whether to be honest or to deceive. Because there's always, we always want to justify, well, you know what, if I tell the truth here, then it's going to make me look bad. It's going to make someone else look bad. If I tell the truth here, what's going to happen to me? And we start to think that way and we forget that, look, I'm either delighting God or making God sick by what I say in my honesty and truthfulness or lying. So remember that, with that. But honesty and lying are presented in contrast here. It's as powerful as that impacts your. Okay, did you did you hear it? Honesty or dishonesty impacts your relationship with God. Think about that the next time you want to lie. Because God says, those who lie are an abomination to me. But those that tell the truth, I delight. And I would rather be on the delight side than the abomination side. And I think you so it's important we realize these truths. I actually added another one because verse 23, as I was reading through this week, I thought, you know, I kind of skipped that verse. Verse 23 says, "A prudent man concealeth knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness." I put it this way: bad men sound off, good men supervise their tongue. You say, "Well, you skipped another verse." Well, actually, I had it back in on. Point number seven, verse twenty-five: heaviness in the heart of man make it stoop. But then, what does God say? A good word makes it glad. Yeah, here, here's here's the truth. My my tongue uh, impacts my relationship with God. My tongue impacts the people around me, for positive, for good, for evil. And I need to remember that. And most all of these verses are giving me that contrast between the good and the evil and how much my words make a difference in the lives of people around me, in my own life, what people think about me, and what God thinks about me and my relationship with him. So my words are very, very important. And that's what Solomon stressed so many times, at least chapter. I think it was worth taking time to look at those verses and those those truths about the tongue once again. So may we have lips that glorify and honor God, that help people. And if you would, cause people to think right about us because we're using our tongue in a way that pleases God. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the truth that we see about the tongue. And... um, these very straightforward and powerful Proverbs that remind us how vitally important it is as a Christian that our tongue be guided by the Holy Spirit of God and um, and that we not use our tongues to destroy and hurt people, but use it to bring about that which is good and right and righteousness. And so may our tongues this week at home with the kids um, in the workplace, at church may our words be such that help encourage, build and and uh, develop a positive relationship with God and I'll thank you for your help, in Jesus name Amen Lord bless you as you live controlling this member. here this